Hey, good morning, church. Do you realize that we are part of the most important organization this world will ever see? The Church of the Living God. And in the book of Acts, we have a historical account of when God birthed his church. Now, every year between Easter and Pentecost, Pentecost will be the last Sunday in May. Every year between Easter and Pentecost, I always read the book of Acts just in preparation for Pentecost Sunday. And over the next two weeks, I just want to do a mini-series using that phrase, preparing for Pentecost. And we're just going to, if you have your Bibles, uh, turn to Acts chapter 1. And over the next two weeks, we're just going to look at Acts chapter 1 as we prepare for Pentecost Sunday in two weeks. Listen to what that beloved physician Luke says. Listen to that medical missionary Luke as he writes this account in Acts chapter 1. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do. I want to stop right there. Because what's interesting in chapter 1 is Luke lays out the themes that are found in the book of Acts. And as we unpack the first chapter of the book of Acts, I want to share with you the three themes throughout the book of Acts. The first one is seen right here. I wrote about all the things that Jesus began to do. First, Jesus wants us to see the importance of his work. All throughout the book of Acts, we see the working of God through the Holy Spirit. In these verses, Luke stresses the work of the Lord. And the one thing that I, I really love about this verse is this. All that Jesus began. It doesn't say all that Jesus did, but all that Jesus began because his work is continuous. It hasn't ended. He is still working among us today. When I think of that phrase that Luke wrote, all that Jesus began to do, all of a sudden my, my mind goes to Philippians chapter 1, where he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. I know that his work continues yet today throughout this world, as well as in our life. Now, there may be times where you don't feel like God is doing anything. There may be times when you don't sense God isn't doing anything. There may be times when you have a hard time seeing God doing anything in your life. But I want you to know his work is not finished in you. And he who began a good work will be faithful to complete it. His work is continuous. Not only is his work continuous, but his work is massive. Listen to uh, verse 3 of Acts chapter 1. After his suffering, he showed himself 
to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. In the King James, it says he gave infallible proofs. Convincing proofs, infallible proofs. What convincing, what infallible proofs did Jesus give? Well, one of them is that he sat down with his disciples and he ate and he drank with them. Could you imagine sitting down and eating with the risen Savior? Well, guess what? One day we will, in Revelation chapter 19, we will have the privilege of sitting down and eating and drinking with the risen Savior at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Not only was that a convincing proof of him eating and drinking, but Scripture says that he walked and he talked with them in his own free will, in his own free gesture. And then... He showed those infallible proofs, those convincing proofs, as he showed them the the scars on his hands and on his feet and on his side. It was convincing proof that that body which was crucified on the cross was risen and he is alive. We serve a risen Savior, who does continuous, massive work in this world today. And when you read the book of Acts, you'll see the continuous work that is taking place and the massive work that he is doing. As Jesus walked and talked, he is alive today. And his work continues, even in our own lives. God is still at work today in the world, healing sick people, helping hurting people, saving souls, transforming lives, meeting every one of our needs. Luke wanted to show the one theme that His work is continuous and it is massive. The second theme that runs throughout the book of Acts that Luke wants to show is secondly, not only is his work, not only the importance of his work, but he wanted to show us the importance of his words, of the words of Jesus. Now, look back at chapter 1, verse 1 again. In my former book, book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do, that's his continuous work, and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. Now let's take a look at the importance of his word. First, we took a look at the importance of his work. Now let's take a look at the importance of his word. Hey, all throughout the book of Acts, we see the importance of his word. Just on on the day of Pentecost alone, when Peter stood up and addressed the crowd as to what was taking place. 
Aren't you glad for the importance of his word? I think of John chapter 7, verse 46, when Jesus was in the temple teaching that day. And after he was done, it was the temple guards who said these words. No one has ever spoken the way this man does. No one has ever spoken the way this man does. And what about Matthew chapter 7? After that beautiful discourse on the mountain, after that beautiful sermon on the mount, do you remember what people said? When Jesus had finished saying these words in Matthew chapter 7, verse 28, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority, not as their teachers of the law. He taught as one who had authority. Where in this world today is there anything that could be compared to the Sermon on the Mount? Who's ever heard stories like the prodigal son and the good Samaritan? Who's ever been able to communicate? Listen, through my journey in life, I've, I've had some poor teachers. I've had some mediocre teachers. I've, I've had some good teachers. And I've had some very good teachers. But yet today, there is no one greater. There is not a greater teacher than Jesus. The importance of his word. Now, listen to his final instructions before he ascends into heaven. What what is he saying to his disciples? It's kind of interesting here because there's, there's three things that he's conveying. Here in verse 4 of Acts chapter 1. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised in which you have heard him speak about. For John baptized you with water, but in a few days you will be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Jesus is saying, before I ascend, remember my promises. And he always makes good on his promises because this very promise was fulfilled in just a few days with the coming of the Holy Spirit. I want you to know that the importance of his word, we can count on every promise God has ever uttered, God has ever given to us. And not only does he remind them of the promises of God, but he reminds them as he's teaching them before he ascends of their priorities. Now, check this out. Verse 6 of chapter 1. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of God? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the time or the dates the Father has set by his authority. Now, what does this have to do with priorities? Because a lot of times... So many of us, 
we major in the minors. We're always concerned with things that really we shouldn't be concerned with. And that's what the disciples were asking. The disciples said, you know, Lord, when is it at this time? What date are you going to restore your kingdom? And basically Jesus says, that's not for you to know, for the Father has set the time. I was trying to paraphrase this in today's world. Lord, when is this pandemic going to be over? Lord, what's the purpose and the reason behind it? Lord, are these the last days? And so many times, we're always trying to find the answer to all the whys. And I believe in his teaching, Jesus says, sometimes, you know what? It's not for you to know. But the Father knows. What is he saying? We serve a sovereign God who's in control of all things. And perhaps there are other things that you need to give more priority to. I think it's kind of funny how, how the Lord taught him this lesson. Because it says in verse 9, after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes. And a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently. Intently up, up into the sky as he was going, 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 just staring into the sky. And then all of a sudden, two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who was taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. In other words, what they were saying is, why are you just standing around? Go get busy with what God has told you to do. Boy, sometimes we can get our priorities all out of line by trying to major in minors, trying to major in things that we'll never have an answer for, where God just wants us to go out and refresh and wash one another's feet. Along with teaching about the promises and priorities, he now teaches them about the power. Boy, I, 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 I so love verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You know what Jesus is saying? Yes, I've given you a commission. I've given you a command. But don't try to do it on your own. In fact, it's going to be impossible for you to do it on your own. I will give you the necessary enablement. I will give you the power in order to accomplish all that I've asked you to do. Listen, church, we can't do this on our own. We can't live the Christian life on our own. We need the power of his Holy Spirit. And all throughout the book of Acts is the theme of the Holy Spirit working in the lives of his disciples, accomplishing that which God asked them to do. So in his teaching, in the importance of his word, he shows the the promise, the priorities, 
and now the power. There is soul-saving. There is life-changing. There is heart-healing power in the Word of God. The importance of His Word. The importance of His work. The last theme that we see throughout the book of Acts, along with the working and the Word of God, is now the importance of his witnesses. Listen to what it says once again in verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You will be my witnesses. The importance of witnesses. Whenever I, I think of this passage of scripture, I, I always remember uh, the words of Rick Warren. When God says you will be his witnesses, he's not asking you to be in a defense attorney. He's not asking you to be a prosecutor. He's not asking you to be a salesman. God doesn't need to be defended. God doesn't need salesmen. He just wants you to be a witness. Now what is a witness? A witness is one who just describes what they have seen. It's real simple. To be a witness, you just tell others what you have observed God doing in your life. That's a witness. Just sharing what you have observed God doing in your life. You can be his witness. It's not just for his disciples, but it's for all to share what we have seen God doing in our lives. Hey, there's, there's a great example of this in the Gospel of Mark. In Mark chapter 5, re remember how Jesus got into the boat. They were crossing the Sea of Galilee. They were trying to get some rest. They, they go over to the, the, the Gerasians, the region of Gerasians. And once they put the boat ashore, all of a sudden out amongst the tombs comes this wild man. This man who is, is, who is possessed with multiple demons. And he's just running, going crazy and wild. And, and Jesus says, who are you? And he says, my name is Legion, for there are many of them in me. And Jesus cast those demons into a herd of pigs. And those pigs ran down the hill into the sea. And there this demon-possessed man, who no one could tame, who no one could chain, was sitting Dressed, Scripture says, in his right mind. All the people in that region, they didn't know how to take it. In fact, Scripture says they asked Jesus and his followers to leave. Get out of here! And this man, who was demon-possessed, now in his right mind, begged Jesus to go with him. Please, let me go with you. 
But do you know what Jesus told him here in Mark chapter 5? Go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to, and began to tell in Decapolis, that's, the, that's, that's 10 cities, how much Jesus had done for him and all the people were amazed. Now listen, the story does not end there. For all you have to do is turn your page to chapter 7 because something very significant takes place. A little while, Jesus goes back to that region where they asked him to leave in chapter 7. And in verse 31, he came to the region of Decapolis, that very place where they asked him to leave. What's their attitude now? It says there were some people who brought a man to him who was deaf and could hardly talk. And they begged him to place his hands on a man. The whole atmosphere has changed once they asked him to leave. But when he had come back, they were welcoming him. Do you know why I believe the change in the atmosphere? Because of that demon-possessed man who obeyed the command of the Lord who went and started to tell those ten cities what he saw God do in his life. He was a witness that opened that region for people to embrace Jesus. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. You know what that is? Jerusalem is your home city. Jerusalem is your friends your family, your neighbors, your co-workers. Jerusalem is the greater freehold area that he wants us to be witnesses in. You will be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea. Ah, Judea is, is the state of New Jersey. And, and boy, if there's ever a time a state needs Jesus, it's now. And then you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Home, Judea, the state. Now, this is where I find the word of God so amazing. I have read this passage. I can't tell you how many times I have read this passage. And for the very first time this week, something came to my attention. Where did he say they would be witnesses next? In Samaria. Whoa. When Jesus said that, I can just imagine the disciples thinking, did he just say what I thought he said? I, I don't think he meant Samaria. I, I don't think I heard Samaria. Re remember the time in John chapter 4 where Jesus is at the well and a Samaritan woman comes to him and he talks to her and she's, she's, she's amazed. She says, Jews don't talk to Samaritans. Why are you talking to me? There was such a great divide. There was such a great gap. Samaria, you want us to go there? I, Lord, I, I think you misspoke yourself. I, I don't think we heard you correctly. Witnesses in Samaria? You know of the great divide. You know of the great religious divide. 
You know the great racial divide between us two. And you know what I get out of this? <laughs> we are to be witnesses to those who wear masks and to those who don't wear masks. We are to be witnesses to the convenience store checkout. We are to be witnesses to the one who fills up our car with gas. We are to go across our cultures. We are to be witnesses to those of a different political party. We are to be witnesses to one another that crosses all divide. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem at home, in Judea, in the state, in Samaria, cross-cultural, and to the ends of the earth. If there was ever a time, it's so easy to go to the ends of the earth. It's now through the internet. I, I don't know if you know, but we, we support a missionary down in Texas who is literally going across this world on the internet to reach people for Christ in countries where you can't send a missionary. Now you're saying, I understand we're going to the ends of the earth, but Pastor, you know, I can't go. Maybe you can't go, but you can be a part. You can support a missionary. You can pray for a missionary. We can send missionaries to the ends of the earth. The importance of his work that is continuous. The importance of his word that is powerful. The importance of his witnesses. Hey, I, I want to close with this. Because all throughout the book of Acts, you see the importance of witnesses. In Acts chapter 7, they take one of the followers of Christ. A follower by the name of Stephen. And... They stone him to death. The Holy Spirit empowered Stephen to be a witness even in that incident where at his stoning, Stephen says these words, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And then it says he fell asleep. And the very next verse, chapter 8, says this. And Saul was there giving his approval to his death. As Stephen, filled with the Holy Spirit, was a witness as he was dying, I believe his witness released Paul to being open to the gospel. And we have the great conversion of Saul there on the road of Damascus. And I believe it was the witness of Stephen that opened the heart of Saul to become Paul, to continue the importance of his work, to continue the importance of his word, to, com to continue the importance of being a witness to the ends of the world. Preparing for Pentecost. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Lord, I, I thank you for your word, especially in chapter 1. 
in preparing for Pentecost. This morning, Lord, we, we've laid out the theme of the whole book of Acts, the importance of work, of how your work continues and how it's so massive, the importance of your word how you're true to your promises, how we are to keep our priorities in, in following you and the importance of power, how you empower us, as well as the importance of being a witness. Lord, throughout this pandemic, continue to empower us with your word, your promises, your work, and being a witness for you, helping people get through this difficult hour. In your precious and holy name we pray. Amen.